Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Numbers 14. And I know I put in the bulletin uh, chapters one or verses 1 through 23. We're just going to go through verses 1 through 11. This is Numbers 14, verses 1 through 11 on page uh, 229 in your uh, pew Bibles. And before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that you would help us not to take you or your word for granted. But Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear it. We pray that you would give us eyes to see things in light of who you are and what you're doing. I pray that you would give us minds to understand. I pray that you would give us hearts that are soft. Hearts that are ready to receive your message and willing to be changed. Lord, we pray that even this morning you would continue the work that you have begun in us to change us by your word and by your spirit and to the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. In his name that we pray, amen. Numbers chapter 14, this takes place in the wilderness right on the edge of the promised land. So just so you understand what's going on in the story, God has brought the people out of slavery in Egypt. He took them to Mount Sinai, gave them the law. They've been going through the wilderness up to the edge of the land that he has promised to give them. And now they have sent spies into the land and said, check it out for us. And they came back and uh, all 12 spies came back and said, the land is great. It's amazing in that land, but there are some really big people there who are kind of scary. Ten of them said, because these big people are there, we shouldn't even go in. Two of them said, yes, there are big people there, (laughs) but we have a bigger God, and he's the one giving it to us. We should go in. But ten is a bigger number than two, and so... um, siding with the majority, everyone decides to stay out. So that's, that's where we are, Numbers 14. And it says, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? Turning then our gospel lesson, Mark chapter 9. 
verses 14 through 29, which can be found on page 1571 in Pew Bibles. This comes just on the heels of uh, Jesus taking three of his disciples up on a mountain where he is transfigured before them. And Peter wants to stay up on the mountain. And Jesus says, no, that's not where we're staying. He brings them down. And as he brings them down, um, he brings them really right into um, face-to-face, really, with their own inadequacies and their own shortcomings, which is a fascinating contrast. And here we get the first incident of that. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. It says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can... Jesus said, Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we come to our sermon text this morning, I want us to do a little exercise to begin. And as I want everybody to take your arms and go ahead and fold them across your chest. All right? And now unfold them. Okay, very good. Now, stay like that. And here's here's the thing. I'm going to be talking about uh, having your arms folded. I don't want anybody to think I'm talking about somebody in here in particular. So now we're all in the same position. We're all good. Um, But when you have your arms folded, that actually, body language experts talk about that as being a closed position, right? Familiar with this? And this is more of an open position. And uh, that's not just like your body is closed or whatever, but it means even how receptive you are to what's going on. And so if you are uh, watching something, listening to something, you're like, I'm not sure about this. This is your posture. <laughs> Arms full, I don't know about this. Whereas if you're like open and you're leaning forward, you're like, oh, yeah, tell me more. You're more engaged, you're more receptive, that sort of thing. So when I talk about closed arm, you know, arms folded, whatever, uh, that's what I'm really talking about, even if people don't physically have their 
arms crossed across their chest. Um, now, we got to see a good example of this earlier this week. I don't know if you were watching the State of the Union address. Anybody see that? I don't know if you knew we were divided as a country, but guess what? Yeah, I think we knew that. And um, before anybody thinks that I'm picking on a particular party, I'm absolutely not because I think had a genuine belief that had the election gone the other way, we would have still seen the same thing this past week. It just would have been the other side of the house (laughs) with their arms folded, refusing to listen or applaud to things that even everybody would agree with. What we saw this week is Donald Trump saying he could have said, you know, complimented their children. And there were people in the room who would not have applauded that. (laughs) Not because of what he's saying, but just because of who he is. And I think it would have gone the same way the other way. Because we're that much uh, divided on just who the person is that we have shut off. I'm not even going to listen. I'm not going to engage. I am going to, you know, arms folded, respond that way. And this is... uh, it's really sad to see that in Washington. Um, but the worst part of it is, it's really easy to look at that and say, if I'd been there, I wouldn't be like that. That's easy. The hard thing is actually living that way uh, in our everyday lives. And here's your test that you can go ahead and put on this week. And that is, when you, this week, see headlines about people, do you find in yourself that you are jumping to conclusions? For example, that you say, you know, you see the headline and it says so-and-so did such-and-such. In your head, depending on who the so-and-so is, in your head, do you immediately say, no, they'd never do that. And with no more evidence, you've already decided, case closed, they're innocent. That's just people, you know, hunting for something. Or, When you see so-and-so said this, depending on who the so-and-so is, do you in your heart say, I bet they did. Yep, guilty, don't even need to read the rest of the article, I know it's true. (laughs) Because what we're doing there is the same thing. We're closing ourselves off from any of the actual information. We're making predetermined judgments and then living based on that. And if you're not, if the whole headline thing doesn't grab you, same sort of thing when you just hear any juicy bit of gossip from around town. Same thing. When you hear it, do you immediately say, I bet they did? <laughs> or nah, couldn't be. And this is where, uh, in, our, in our country, we have this you know, presumed innocence until proven guilty, right? In the eyes of the law. And yet that's not how we tend to live with each other, is it? We will jump very quickly to the conclusions that, and then respond accordingly. And often, by doing that, we're closing ourselves off to any of the evidence that might point towards the truth, which means that we are actually taking a predetermined stance that says, I don't care what the truth is. And what I'm going to say today is, as Christians, that should never be our stance. We should always be those who are open to finding out what is the truth. Because if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, there is nothing that we should be afraid of as far as pursuing the truth. It's always going to come back to Jesus. So here is uh, the situation going on with Paul and Barnabas. We've been looking in the book of Acts. They have been going around and preaching about Jesus. And what we're going to see is the problem we've been discussing 
It's not a problem of Washington, and it's not a problem of just us here in El Dorado. This is a human problem. This making decisions before listening to the evidence. Uh, not, not everyone does it all the time. I think everybody does it to some degree. <laughs> uh, but here we have in Acts chapter 14, they have just been uh, run off from uh, Pisidian Antioch. And so it says that uh, in verse 51 of chapter 13, it says, They shook off the dust of their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. So then they come to Iconium. Here's what it says. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So this is what's going on with Paul and Barnabas. They go to a new place and they do what they always do, which is go into the synagogue and say, you are the people who know the story. You have the Old Testament. You know who God is and what he's been doing. And so we saw in chapter 13, if you want to go back, it uh, really spells out what it is that their message is as they are proclaiming Jesus. And they go through the whole Old Testament story and show what God has been doing and who he's been uh, promising to come as this answer to the problem of sin and brokenness in the world. And so they go back to Abraham and say, God chose Abraham and then through him is promised to bless the whole world. And he continues this promise all the way down, and you see it happening family after family as we trace through the Old Testament. And it's going to be somebody coming from the line of David, and then Jesus. And we see the one who is the answer to what God has been promising this whole time. That somehow in Jesus, God is fulfilling his promise to bless all the nations of the world. This is the message that they're preaching, and this is the message that's getting them in a lot of trouble. And we saw in chapter 13, it's because of jealousy. Now here they are in a new city. They go to a new synagogue, and they're preaching the same message, and they're preaching about Jesus, and they're preaching, this is good news for you. And it said at the very beginning, and as they are speaking, it says they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So here they are preaching Jesus, and there are people saying, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. We are excited about this. We're excited about what this means for the world. We're excited about what this means for us. And so they have believed in great numbers. But it says, but the Jews who refused to believe. That's where we go back to that arms folded position. This arms folded position of we're not listening. We don't care what it is you have to say. We're not going to evaluate the evidence. We are going to refuse to believe. Case closed before opening arguments. And then it says, worse than just refusing to believe, 
They then poisoned the, uh, they stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, that being Paul and Barnabas. Not physical brothers, but okay, whatever. Um, now, one of the things we need to be careful of, personally, is being in that position of refusing to believe. When we hear the good news of Jesus and saying, I'm not even going to listen to it. Just case closed before opening arguments. We've, we can't do that. On the other hand, we can't be surprised when some people respond that way. They did then, they do now. That happens. On the other hand, that doesn't mean that we are just open to believing anything. Like we can't reject anything because, well, you know, the people who refuse to believe, that's bad, so we just have to believe everything that anybody says about anything. No, that's not it either. <laughs> what Paul and Barnabas are doing is they're making an argument. They're not just coming in and saying, hey, I've got something to tell you about some guy who did some stuff. They are tying Jesus into the whole story and saying, I want you to look back at everything you know to be true already. And I want you to hold him up and compare him to all this. And you will see how he fits perfectly everything like the missing piece of the puzzle. And then beyond just that, it says, um, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. In other words, there was plenty of evidence, not only in their arguments, but also in their actions, that what they were saying was the truth. So anybody who is actually kind of on the fence here, but is open, right? And examining the evidence has plenty of evidence to check out. So it's not a matter of just take everything on blind faith. It's a matter of check it out. See if it holds up. See what's actually true. One of the other cautions we have to have here is this idea that uh, you either refuse to believe or you just take everything kind of blind faith without checking the evidence. Um, and if that's the case, then you have people who feel like they're, well, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I, I feel like I, I want to believe, but there's still a lot of doubts I have. I don't, I don't know. And one of the problems that we've had in the church overall is uh, creating a culture where it's not okay to talk about your doubts. And that's not okay. Because faith is not opposed to doubt. Faith and doubt go hand in hand. The question is, which one do you live out of? Do you have enough faith to doubt your doubts, or is your doubt winning out over your faith? That sort of thing. But they do exist together. And that's one of the things we saw in the, uh, the story of the, the man who brought the, his son to Jesus. Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. So which is it? Yes. <laughs> it's both. And, um, and this is where that open position comes in again. If we have doubts, are we really open to finding out what is true? Are we open to chasing that down? And how do we live in the meantime? 
Uh, a couple weeks ago in Houston, there was a guy who was talking about leading a skeptics-only Bible study, which is great. And he, he actually does not allow Christians to come to his skeptics-only Bible study. Skeptics-only, which I assume means if somebody in the Bible study becomes a Christian, they can't go anymore. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but it's for skeptics-only. And he said, we are not winning over hardened atheists. So people who are militant atheists, people who have decided... They're not on the fence anymore. They have decided there is no God. So stop even trying. So those people, we're not winning them. He said, but who we're reaching out to are the people who don't feel like they have enough information to believe, but they are open. They're questioning. They're seeking. And they, uh, and yeah, they've got their questions and their doubts, but they're bringing them openly. He said, and, and that is great. And that's who we ought to be talking with anyway. And, um, and he said one of the things that people sometimes object to is, oh, we can't be having these skeptics in the church because aren't you afraid that they're going to raise doubts that are going to lead Christians astray? He said, no. He said, I am much less afraid of that. I'm much more concerned that we have people sitting in church who think they're Christians and aren't. And by having skeptics in the church who are raising their doubts and openly speaking about them, it helps everybody to examine what it is that we believe and how it is that we're living because of who Jesus is more seriously and to take their faith more seriously. Now, does this mean that you have to have absolutely every question answered before you can make a move? You have to eliminate all doubt? Of course not. Um... I like the illustration of an airplane because I have no idea how those things work. I've heard it explained. I've thought I've understood from time to time. And then I start thinking about it more, and I go, ah, I don't have a clue. <laughs> um, but I've ridden on airplanes a lot of times. And the thing is, I don't need to understand how it all works to believe that it will work. And sometimes people will look at uh, what it means to follow Jesus and say, well, I don't know all the things, and I don't know all of how every single thing works, and until I understand every little bit of it, I'm not stepping on board. But that's not what's being asked. What's being asked is, do you have enough information to believe that even if you don't understand how it all works, to believe that it works? To believe that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Do you have enough information to believe that? Do you have enough information in your personal experience to know that you are one of the sinners that he came to save? Do you believe that? You don't need to know all the rest of it, and you can explore all the rest of it with everybody else for many, many years and continue to seek out uh, those answers and to seek the truth. But do you have enough information to get on board? One of the uh, reasons that many people have for pushing that out and saying, I don't have all the answers to everything yet, and until I have all the answers, I'm not going to get on board. It's usually not because they really feel like they need all the answers. It's usually because there's something else going on in their heart. So, for example, there are people who are just terrified to fly, and they're not going to fly. That's just it. There are other people who will use that as an excuse because that plane is going to Milwaukee for a family reunion, and they don't like their relatives. 
And so they're like, I don't know if I can fly. <laughs> has nothing to do with flying. has everything to do with what it means they have to give up at home and who it is they'd have to deal with when they get on the other <laughs> side of that flight. And for many people, that is exactly what's going on in the area of faith. It's not that they really need all the answers to all the questions. It's they don't want to have to give up what they know they're going to have to give up. And they don't want to have to deal with who it is they're going to be dealing with if they get on this plane. And so that's where we just need to be honest. Honest about who we are and what our real objections are. And then examine the evidence and see where it points. And then get on the plane. (laughs) Take that step of faith. Say, I do trust that you are the one who created me, knows me, who knows all the worst things about me, and instead of rejecting me, came to save me. Do you have enough information for that? This is where um, some of the people were. They received the message, and uh, that was was great. But there are others who not only refused, but then poisoned the minds of the others, and then created a plot to... um, try to mistreat them and stone them. This is they found out about it and fled to the other cities where they continued to preach the gospel. So, uh, and we'll find out as they, as they go, their problems with these guys aren't over. They actually follow them to the next place and it gets even worse. Um, we'll get there next week. Uh, but for now, we have Paul and Barnabas who are in a situation where they are dealing with people and it's the same kind of thing that you see in the parable that Jesus tells of the four different kinds of soils. Same message goes out. People respond differently. And one of the things that we've noticed so far, and we will continue to notice as we watch Paul and Barnabas go around, is, you know, first we're looking at our own hearts. How are we responding when we hear the word of God? How do we respond to that? Are we close to it? Are we open to it? Are we honest about who we are and how we're responding? But the second thing is, like Paul and Barnabas, as we are those who are going out and sharing this message, do we do it like they do? Which is faithfully presenting it to everybody. Not knowing how they're going to respond, but knowing you'll get all kinds of responses. And not being discouraged when people respond in every different possible way. (laughs) And not getting, you know, over uh, excited about when people are responding one way or another way. But just continuing to share the good news of Jesus with everybody. Because I actually believe that it is good news for everybody, and so everybody needs to hear it. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us as those who hear the word? Where does that leave us as those who live by faith and doubt, mixed in? Where does that leave us as those who share this faith, who talk about Jesus with other people? What does that mean for you tomorrow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.